God, more than anything else in life, we need you. And that's the clear testimony of your word. And that doesn't always seem true. Uh, Many of us are searching for something. We're looking for something. And we have this uh, deep question about who we are and and what life is really all about. And and many of us have been looking for our whole lives to an answer to this. And, And some of us are not sure that that's you right now. We're here and we're willing to listen. We're investigating, but we're not yet sure what to do with Jesus. We're not yet sure if you really are what your word says that you are. So I pray that you'd use your scripture again, your revelation of who you are to us. I pray that you'd use it once again to speak to us of your nature, of your character, that we may know beyond every doubt that this is where life is found, that you are everything that we need, that you are the source of all good things. We pray this in the name of Jesus, asking for the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, I I want to give you some very good advice this morning that has the potential to forever change your life for good. So this is big news, okay? So be ready for this. You ready? Okay. You should brush your teeth and floss every single day. Okay, I want to give you a minute here because this is really important advice. This is really good advice. And personalize it, personalize it, right? It's not just that everyone should, but it's that I should brush my teeth every single day. I should floss my teeth every single day. Right? This is good advice. This is very good advice. But here's the thing. You all know that. You've heard this so many times all throughout your life from so many different venues that for most of us, we hear this and think, yeah, of course. Yeah, I know that. And we move on to the next thing, right? Most of you don't feel like you have to do a lot of kind of heart searching and soul searching and think, well, do I really agree with that? Well, yeah, of course you agree with that. You you know this is true. Go talk to a dentist. They're going to tell you to brush your teeth and to floss. And they have a vested interest in your, in your tooth uh, hygiene. They actually make more money if your teeth go bad. So if, if someone who's going to make more money on you not brushing and flossing your teeth is still telling you to floss and brush your teeth, you should probably do it. They've got a vested interest in this. This is great advice. And most of you would think, you know what, I know the right thing to do, and I do it. I brush my teeth every day. I brush my teeth twice every day. And I floss. Sometimes. I floss. Maybe not every day, but, you know, occasionally. I floss sometimes. You want to know something terrible? My wife does not floss every day. I can't believe it. She knows she should. She knows this is good advice, but somehow she doesn't do it. I asked her if I could say that. It's okay. We're not going to get in a fight later. It's okay. Well, we might still. I can't believe it. She doesn't actually floss every day. She brushes her teeth twice a day, but she doesn't floss every day. She's only half obeying that fantastic, life-changing advice. I mean, I I floss. I I flossed last week. I flossed. (laughs) It's a wonderful thing. My my secret uh, uh, fear here is that everyone in this room, except for my wife and I, are are flossers. And and you're sitting here thinking, what on earth is he talking about? You're judging our personal hygiene habits and stuff like that. Here's the, here's the reason I'm, I'm saying this. The danger of, of common truths, really good things that we, we know are true and we agree with them, the, the problem with these common truths is that we can very easily be inoculated to their truth. We say, yeah, I agree with that, and so I must be doing it. And so we don't really investigate, we don't look any deeper to see, am I actually doing this thing or not? 
So we're coming to the first and most basic commandment that God gives his people. You shall have no other gods before me. And, and many of you will know that command. That's command number one in the Ten Commandments. Many of you know this command, and many of you will think, yes, I am, of course, obeying this command. But we've got to take a closer look. We cannot assume obedience to this. It's such a common thing. It's so well-known. We can easily be inoculated to this so that it doesn't actually affect our day-to-day life. So let's look at the very first and most basic commands. Uh, this is from Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. If you haven't turned there yet in your Bible, this would be a good time to do that. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. Uh, we have uh, Pew Bibles. This is found toward the beginning of the Bible. Uh, in the Pew Bibles, it's found on page 74, Exodus chapter 20, uh, the Ten Commandments. As we look at this uh, first command, we're going to see that it teaches us three things. Of course, it teaches us lots of things, but we're going to focus in on three really crucial things that we have to understand from this first commandment. Uh, The first thing that it does is it teaches us about our own propensity to sin. We are prone to worship things other than God as if they were God. So again, this is what God says. Here's the command. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, let's, t- let's ask a question here. Why does God give nice people like us that kind of a command? It seems pretty obvious that this is true. We should have only one God, and that one God that we worship and serve should be the true God, right? This seems pretty clear. So why would God give us a command that we should have no other gods? It seems pretty straightforward. Well, because we are tempted to disobey it. We have to be told not to have other gods than the true God because we're tempted to worship and serve and give our attention to things other than the true God. We're tempted to turn elsewhere. And if you don't believe me, look at the the original audience to this. This was first spoken uh, directly from God to the people of Israel during the time of Moses. And, And this group of people had seen God do unmistakable and amazing things. Go back and read the opening chapters of the book of Exodus. You hear how God drew them out of slavery in the land of Egypt by these incredibly powerful and unmistakable acts punctuated at the very end by God. Uh, They're they're trapped up against the sea, the Red Sea, that their enemies are coming and chasing them, and God parts the waters in front of them. So they are able to walk past, and at just the right moment, when their enemies are following them, God brings the waters back down. They've seen these things with their own eyes, and at this moment, when God's giving these ten commands, they're hearing the direct voice of God coming from the mountain, coming from the fire on the mountain with lightning, with with thunder, with all these impressive displays that are making it clear that this is what God, the true God, who is all-powerful, is telling to these people. And yet very soon, they're going to turn to other gods. They've had this incredible experience, this unmistakable experience of God, and very soon they're going to be turned to worship other gods. See, they, they are living in a culture with lots of different gods. It's not a kind of mono, basically monotheistic um, kind of culture like our culture is, where most people, if they believe in God, believe in a single god. This is a culture that's polytheistic. They believe in a whole bunch of different gods and kind of territorial gods here and there. There's a whole bunch of them. And so the people of Israel are, are interacting with these other cultures around them, and, and they're kind of drawn to some of these other gods. They think, well, that, that might be an interesting god. Gods with names like Baal or, or Ashtoreth and these kind of things. And, and they end up getting, getting drawn drawn in and actually worshiping these other gods. And you heard the, the passage earlier from, from uh, Isaiah, where Isaiah the prophet is kind of mocking these gods that they're worshiping. They're saying, listen, you get a bunch of gold together and you pay someone, some craftsman some money and he makes it into a little, a little idol or a little image or something, and then you start bowing down to that thing. I mean, the Bible is consistently clear on this. It's foolish to do that. You've made it with your own hands and now suddenly you're worshiping. It just doesn't make any sense. 
Okay, so you and I don't do that. We don't bow down to little figures, most of us at least. We haven't offered sacrifices to Baal or Ashtoreth. So we're obeying this command, right? We don't have any other gods other than the true God. We wouldn't do something as, as foolish and as silly as that, so we must be okay. But of course, we are just as prone to worship things other than the true God as they were. We just have it in different forms. See, to worship something is to treat it with value. It's about find, uh, forming your life around something. And here's the thing. There are lots of good things in life that, that you value, that you see as really good things, that, that are very close to how you understand yourself, your identity, your purpose, your happiness is tied to lots of different things. The problem is when those good things become ultimate things for us. They, they take on a role in our lives that they were never meant to have. This is often a very subtle shift, which makes it all the more dangerous. Things like family, which is a good thing. Things like work, like sex, like money, like sports. These are all good things, but when they take on a level of importance and meaning and value and significance uh, in our lives, apart from the defined position that God has given those, then those become for us other gods. They become idols for us. Now, if you don't believe me, if you don't think that's true, well, listen to some of the, the popular music in our day. There's one song in particular that came out a couple years ago uh, by Hosier uh, called Take Me to Church, and, and this, the lyrics are very clear that this is about worship. All throughout, he's, he's identifying a love or lover or, or sex with worship. Listen to some of these lyrics. My church offers no absolutes. She tells me, worship in the bedroom. The only heaven I'll be sent to is when I'm alone with me. Take me to church. I'll worship like a dog at the shrine of your lies. Let me give you my life. And in, a, in an interview, the artist is very clear that this is totally about worship. It's about exchanging an idea of God for something real and tangible. This is what he says. This song is about asserting yourself and reclaiming your humanity through an act of love. Turning your back on the theoretical thing, something that's not tangible, and choosing to worship or love something that is tangible and real. That is very blatantly idolatry. It's having an other God turning away from an unseen but real God, a God that's not tangible to something that you can touch and feel, something that's more manageable, more tangible. As disturbing as those lyrics are, it's at least honest. Most of us are, are much subtler than that in our turning to other gods. But the same thing is happening. Something is drawing us away from the true God. Worshiping other gods is alive and active today, in our day, just as it was in Israel's day. We still need this command uh, today. We don't name our gods things like Baal, but they are still things in our lives that draw us away from the true God. Now, I don't know if you really are, are believing me on this, but I want to push you on this because here's the thing. If you just hear this, you should have no other gods before me and think, yeah, I do that. I don't have any other gods than the true God. I think you're in a really dangerous position because if you don't know the things that you are tempted to worship instead of God, if you're not aware of the things that draw you away from God, then you're more liable to actually fall for those things and they end up becoming for you gods. So, you need to identify them so that you can actually root them out. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take some time this week, sit down with a piece of paper, and just write out all the things that are really important to you, the kind of things that, that your happiness rises and falls depending on their position, the kind of things that you talk about all the time, that you think about all the time, the kind of things that, that you're uh, constantly on the lookout for. 
You need to identify those things because most often those are the kind of things that are going to draw your heart in. Those are the things that you are ending up actually worshiping. Those can become for you other gods. You need to sit down and evaluate what those things are so that you know where you are and can actually root these things out of your lives. Okay, so the first thing we have to understand as we look at this first commandment is that we need it. We are prone to worship other things than God. Okay, the second thing then is starting to get at the antidote. The passage is pointing to a great promise of God. It's, it's pointing to what we're just saying about that God is everything that we need. So again, we'll discover as we go through these Ten Commandments that every one of the commands of God, there's a promise behind it that shows how that's a really good command for us. That if we obey that, that's actually best for us. That is a freeing command for us. Here's the promise here. It's that God is everything we need. So commandment one comes actually after the prelude. We saw this last week. This is what God starts off saying. Before any of the do's and don'ts, any of the rules, this is what he says. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then you get the command, you shall have no other gods before me. So the command, no other gods, is rooted in the promise that points back to who God is. I am your God. I brought you out of slavery. And implicitly in that is that he is enough for us. God is all we need. See, I think the reason that we're prone to worship things other than God is that we're looking for something. We want to know that, that we're going to be taken care of. We want to have a sense of identity, a sense of meaning, a sense of purpose. We want to be part of something larger than just ourselves and our little world. Maybe that's where you are this maybe. Maybe you're wondering, what, what is that thing? You're searching for something, but you just can't seem to, to find it. Maybe you come to church and you still have this anxiety that, that maybe God's not actually going to be everything that you need. We have this anxiety that somehow our, our needs aren't going to be met, and so we start looking elsewhere for those needs to be met. One uh, commentator puts it well. He says, the issue is not only where we put our ultimate trust, but also whether we truly believe that the God who has delivered us from bondage can be counted upon in all circumstances. If we're actually going to be able to obey this command, no other gods, then we have to trust that this God really is enough. That's why this promise that's underlying this, undergirding this command is so important for us to understand. God is all we need. And we have to find out about this God. Read the Bible, discover who this God is. It says that God is trustworthy. It says that this God loves you. It says that this God is powerful to protect you. It says that this God will be present with you all the time. It says that this God wants what is best to you. You and I have to come back to the character of God time after time after time. We're always going to be running after other things and other gods as long as we worry that this God, this true God, is not going to come through for us. Idolatry, other gods, is rooted in lack of trusting the true God. Is God really enough for me? God provides everything we need. That's what we have to discover. God has set us free, and he continues to give us rules so that we can live a life to the full, abundant life, Jesus says. God is able to watch over us. Go back and see what God has done. See that God, what God did in the history of the people of Israel. He set them free from uh, slavery in Egypt. That's why he reminds them of that here. Go back to what he did through Jesus. He sent his son to die to rescue us from the power of sin and darkness and death. This is the God that we serve. And, and then go back to the things that he has done in your life. Just about every Christian that I've talked to, every follower of Jesus that I've talked to, has stories of God coming through for them in remarkable and powerful ways. 
Go back to those stories. Remember what God has done for you. And then tell other people about those stories. They need to hear these too. It's one of the reasons we started this story team, uh, that we're starting to collect stories and share them uh, on Sunday mornings, because God has done amazing things in our lives. And we want to be able to give him the glory for those things, because that's what reminds us that God really is everything that we need. He provides everything we need. And not only that, but God is all-satisfying. Think about that for a minute. God is all-satisfying. I think that one is actually a difficult one for us to uh, really believe because there are lots of things that we look to for satisfaction, and most of those things don't actually ultimately satisfy. So it's hard to believe that God really is all-satisfying. But that's what people who know God discover. So look at the, the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes. He looks at everything that, that people in the world look to for some, some happiness, something in life. He looks at, at power and money and sex and food, and he looks at all this stuff, and then this is what he says in the end. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. In other words, after looking at everything in the world, that's what he comes back to. It's all about fearing God, being in awe and reverence of him, and doing what he says. Or think about the Apostle Paul. He says this in the letter to the Philippians. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them, all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And that's a huge statement. That's the statement of someone who has discovered that God really is all satisfying. You might not believe it, but those who discover who God is discover that this is true, that God is actually all satisfying. That's what the Bible testifies to. Now, the thing is, you and I don't always feel that that's true. So I remember when I was a a sophomore in college, uh, I fell in love with this girl, and she was wonderful. And she was on my mind all the time. I'd wake up in the morning, she's the first thing on my mind. I'd go eat breakfast, she's the first thing on my mind. I'd go to class, I'm supposed to be paying attention, she's on my mind. All throughout this. And, and this was a, a really, actually, a really challenging time of life because I'm, I'm, I'm just pursuing this girl and, I, and everything is, is ebbing and flowing. If she gives me a smile, I feel great. If I don't get to talk to her for a while, or I see her talking to some other guy, I'm just down in the dumps. It's just a really, the ups and downs of infatuation are just really difficult. At the same time uh, that I was going through this infatuation, um, I started reading a book by John Piper called uh, Desiring God. Some of you know a little bit about John Piper and his ministry. It's, it's actually a pretty big book. I remember it being a little bit of a difficult read. But the basic premise of the book, the main point of it is this. It's exactly what we're seeing here. God is all-satisfying. We are called to, to find our satisfaction in God. He is all-satisfying. And so I'm wrestling through this. I'm, I'm praying to God. I'm arguing with God. I'm hanging on to this dream of dating this girl. And I finally realized as I was reading that, you know what, that's actually true. It's true that, that God is all-satisfying. So what I need is God. I don't need that girl. If I have God and I never even see or talk to that girl again, that's enough for me. So I don't need to pursue that girl. I need to pursue God. That's the most important thing. If I find God, then I will be satisfied no matter what else happens over here. Now, it's, it's a little bit uh, uh, cheating to, to share that story because in the end, uh, I did get the girl as well. God did give me the girl. And uh, 12 years later, we've got three kids and a house and all these things. So it's a little bit cheating, I, I realize, to say that. But 
the, the process was really important for me to realize that, okay, no, I, I don't need that girl. I don't need Emily. What I need more than anything else is God. And if I have God, that is enough. Even if I'm single for the rest of my life, that is really, truly enough for me. I mean, that's the point, right? God is all we need. That's the promise behind this commandment to have no other gods, is that God's enough. Okay, last thing we learn here from this first commandment is how we are to actually obey it, how we're to respond. We're to respond by putting God at the very center of our lives. When Jesus was asked what the the greatest commandment is, he replied, as we heard this morning, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. We said last week that the Ten Commandments are the foundation for everything that God commands his people. Just a short list of ten. And Jesus boils them down even further to just two. Love God, love your neighbor. And the first of these really is a positive restatement of the first commandment. No other gods means loving the Lord your God with all your heart. That's how we positively do this. And and Jesus says that everything hangs on this. In other words, if you get this one thing right, everything else is going to line up and fall in line. But if you get this one thing wrong, it doesn't matter what else you do that's good or wise or anything else, you've missed the whole point and you've lost everything. God has to be first and he has to be everything for us. God has to be the one who's on the throne of our lives. He has to be the the center of our universe, the center of our existence. And I think we need to be careful here. What I'm talking about is not a hierarchy. Sometimes I've heard uh, things like, okay, well, God's first, and then my family's second, church is third, work is fourth, or whatever. Actually, I heard a radio broadcast once where two um, Christians were kind of debating this, like, is, is family second, and work third, or church third, or is church second, and family's third? And I just, I remember thinking, you know, I, I know what they're saying, but I think they're going about the question in the wrong way. This isn't about a hierarchy. God isn't part of a hierarchy because if you're, if you're thinking in terms of hierarchy, it means that there's this competition. Okay, God first, and then there's something else underneath there. But I feel like that's the wrong way of going about it because God has to be the lens through which I see everything else. I can't understand what it means to be a father and a husband apart from the fact that first and foremost, I worship God and he's at the center of my existence. I see my, my family in those roles through the lens of first and foremost being a worshiper of God. I don't know what to underst- how to understand what it means to be part of a church apart from the fact that first and foremost, I am a child of God worshiping him, him at the center of everything else. I don't know what it means to be a teacher or a carpenter or a doctor or a businessman apart from the fact that first and foremost, I am a worshiper of God. And that's the starting point, the center, the lens through which I see everything else. I don't even know how to be a, a basketball player or a fisherman or a quilter apart from first and foremost being a worshiper of God and that being the center of my existence. It, it, it impacts everything. It's the center and the focal point. It's the, the lens through which I see everything. See, this command is about God being the center and the defining force of our lives. That's a big thing. This commandment has a lot of weight carried to it. That's what the command's about. One God at the center of who we are. And everything in my life must flow from that and be defined first and foremost by my relationship with God. Because here's the thing. Everything in my life is impacted by this starting point. If God is the one who's at the center of my life, it will seep into every relationship and every role that I have. 
And the opposite's also true. If God is not at the center of my life, if something other than God is at the center of my life, then it's going to affect every relationship and role that I have too. I've discovered this as a father. Uh, a little over a year ago, I found myself uh, responding to parenting challenges with more and more anger. I would come home, and, and my frustration was just growing day after day after day. Little things would come up, a, a little act of disobedience or toys on the floor or something, and, and it just I had a really hard time keeping from blowing up. I found myself yelling at my kids more and more, and, and added to all that was just I couldn't figure out what was going on, why I was getting so angry so quickly, what, and, and then I just didn't know what to do. Now, I realize, parenthetically, that some of you can't deal with the fact that your pastors are sinners, and I'm sorry, if, if you can't have a pastor who is also a sinner, then you might have to find another church. That's okay. That's just where we are. So, so what do you do when you are stuck like this, and you're doing things that you don't want to do, and you don't know what to do? Well, I went to the church self-help uh, section just outside in the foyer here. Uh, it's officially called the Gospel Resources for Life, but I shouldn't say this, but I call it the self-help section. And I found this little book called How Do I Stop Losing It With My Kids? So I think, okay, well, that's me. And I come in during the week, not on a Sunday, so that none of you will see that I have such an embarrassing book title in my hands. <laughs> and right away, a couple, chapter, or a couple pages in, page five, I come across a set of diagnostic questions. And one of the questions is this. When you lose control, are you most concerned with your child obeying God's will or your will? This is where I almost stopped reading and decided to just kind of chuck the book aside because that's not a very nice question to ask. And then it gets worse. When your agenda, your will, your desires, and your reputation become more important than God's, that's a sign you are trying to be your child's God. Whether you thought about it or not, you want your child to treat you like God. Well, that's ridiculous. We're not going to read that. Anymore. It's very convicting and not very nice. Okay. My struggles as a father were rooted in the fact that I was disobeying the first commandment. That's the truth. The first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. And I had constructed a God in my life called my way, my will. And it was destroying my relationship with my kids. We got tissues back here. It's great. I can't even see them. <laughs> so I started a new approach. That showed me that, okay, this problem is rooted in the first commandment. So I started a new approach. I, when I started, the, the anger would start to build, the frustration. I, I, I said this out loud to my kids so many times. That this is the mantra I built up. Okay, it's not about what I want. It's not about my kids obeying me. It's about what God wants for my kids. It's about his will every single time. And this has totally transformed the picture because it means that now, see, this was a worship issue. This wasn't a, a discipline issue. This, this wasn't anything like that. This was about the center of my life, the center of my existence. Who am I worshiping? I am worshiping my sense of order. I'm worshiping my sense of, of desire and will and direction. And so when, once that is off, everything else is going to be off. But once God gets back into the center, then that totally transforms everything. No other gods, including me, God at the center. I've given some personal examples, um, not to kind of say this is about me, but I, I want us to have these Ten Commandments be about the real world, because that's what they're about. It's easy for us to kind of, you know, put them on plaques or whatever and say, oh yeah, the Ten Commandments, these are good things, and we obey them, we know them, and all those things. They have to actually affect how we live our day-to-day -day lives, or they are worthless to us. 
They're totally worthless unless we actually examine where we are, see what it means to actually obey these things and to live them out. So I'm giving personal examples because this is about learning together what real obedience to real commands looks like in the real world. It's very easy to read the first commandment and say, okay, well, I don't have a little wood figurine of Baal. I haven't offered sacrifices to some other kind of God, so I'm okay. I'm uh, obeying this command. Well, yeah, it's good that you're not worshiping to Baal. Let's just be clear on that. It's good that you're not worshiping uh, explicitly these other gods, but it's not enough. There are so many things that draw our hearts and our minds and our attention away from the true God. We have to identify those things. The temptation to live with something other than the true God at the center of our lives is a lifelong battle. What we have to remember, if we're actually going to obey this, is to get back to the prologue, right? This is about God who has set us free, and now he's giving us commands of what it looks like to actually live free. To, to live with no other gods is the only life of freedom, because it means you have the right person at the center. If God is at the center of your life, that is your only chance of ever having a truly free life. That's what this is about. I love how um, J.I. Packer calls us to apply this first command. He says this, Wake up, enthrone God, and live. Isn't that great? That's exactly right. Wake up, put God on the throne of your life, and then you'll actually have life. You put God at the center of your universe, and then you actually have a chance to live free. Now, fathers, it's Father's Day. I want to give you a particular challenge. Set the tone for this in your family. Set the tone. Make God the center of your life and then make him the center of your family's life. You need to be relentless in calling yourself and calling your family out of these distractions, out of the things that call you away from having God at the center. You need to see everything in your life with a starting point as worshiping God. You make God the center of your life. I saw a great example of this last week at our our friend Harvey uh, Buter's memorial service. Uh, every one of the family members who stood up to say something about their father, grandfather, uncle, and there was a bunch of them, every single one of them named Jesus. Time after time, they were saying, you know, my dad was not the kind of person to stand up and to give a sermon, but his life was centered on God. One of his grandsons stood up and said, listen, my grandpa was about Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, come talk to me after the service, and I will answer your questions. I will tell you about Jesus, because if you come to the service, if you know anything about my grandpa, know that Jesus was the center of his life. The legacy for for that man and his family is that it's all about God. It's all about learning to follow him and worship him in his son, Jesus. That's what his life is about. It's an incredible legacy. That's the kind of legacy that I want to leave for my family, my kids. And I challenge you to do the same thing. Let me, let me just encourage you. It's not about being perfect, but you've got to get the starting point right. If you miss out on this one thing, then everything else is going to fall apart. But if you get this one thing right, that will, everything else will line up. You don't have to be perfect, but make God the center of your life. So here's what I want to challenge you. Make, make time to actually root out Uh, identify and relentlessly root out things that compete with God for your attention and for the center of your affections. Believe that God really is everything you need. Go back to his promises. Find out who he is and then center your life on God and cling to him with everything you have and everything you are. Now, some of you uh, know exactly what to do now, but some of you need something more practical. So let me try to give you at least a couple uh, practical tips here. Uh, First, just find out where you are right now. And uh, and particularly for fathers, if you don't know where you are right now, I would challenge you to ask your children because they know where you are right now. So kids, I'm going to uh, ask you to extend grace 
to your fathers and to your parents. Be honest, be truthful, because they do need to know, but also be gracious in realizing that uh, our, life, uh, our life of following God is a long process. So first, just find out where you are. And then the, two, the next two are very simple ones. Start praying that God would identify these things in your heart and that he would become the center of your existence because it starts with you. And then read your Bible, find out who this God actually is and what he's actually commanding us to do. So these are very simple ones, right? Find out where you are, pray, read the Bible, and then just talk about it. Talk about it with your families. Talk about this process. It's not an easy process to go through, but it is crucial if we're actually going to be worshipers of God in all areas of life. If this is going to happen to your family, you've got to start the conversation now. You've got to do that the hard work of identifying where you are and actually coming back to a relationship with God and then talking about it as a family together. Or, as James Packer puts it, wake up and throne God and live. Please pray with me. God, many of us want to worship you with everything we have and everything that we are. And many of us find that difficult because there are so many things that distract us, so many things that that matter to us so much. And many of these are really good things. I pray that you would put boundaries around those things in our hearts. And as we do that, I pray that, that more than anything, you'd make yourself bigger and bigger to us. I mean, most of the problem of worshiping other things and turning to other gods is that we simply don't know you. If we had a glimpse of who you are and all of your splendor, all of your glory and all of your majesty, then, then other things, they wouldn't be a problem at all. Of course we'd center our existence on you. I pray that in your grace, you'd begin to do that in our hearts. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to close the service today by reciting Deuteronomy 20, 2 and 3. I mentioned last week that I would like us to memorize these Ten Commandments together. So if you'd stand and join me in that. If you've memorized these, you can say them from memory. If you haven't, the words are behind me. So let's recite together. Exodus 20, starting 1 and 2, and then doing verse 3. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me.